Welcome to Dragon Talk, everyone. Hello! We are here today to talk to you about Dungeons and Dragons and everything. Very exciting. Dungeons and Dragons is one of my most favorite things to talk about. We talk about it every week, and it is fantastic on this, the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast. I am Greg Tito, and I'm joined by Shelley Mazanoble. Hi! You always bring so much energy to these recordings. I just want to give you a high five, mentally. High five. Thank you. As do you. Not many people would say that about me. It must just be feeding off of your good energy. That's that makes right. me feel happy to be here. It's like every good uh, dungeon master player relationship. Uh, I agree. You're the dungeon master in this situation, though, because whoa, I want to give you some practice. I want to get you some reps in. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of dungeon mastering, I heard uh, your game going on downstairs last night. That's right. Uh, yes. It's super fun. Um, we are on, I think, session 11 for this new homebrew uh, wow. game that I've been playing. Um, and uh, my players have been pretty good, pretty consistent about meeting every week. We switched to like a, a weekly schedule rather than a bi-weekly. We're doing like weekly of two hours on Zoom, uh, which makes it a little bit more uh, palatable. Um, yeah. You know, because you get the, kind of the bite-sized thing, but the uh, you know, story's always moving forward. Yes. Well, it sounded fun. I always like to hear the sound of dice hitting IKEA particle board. <laughs> I'm rolling them the now. Basement. Yep, yep. Good times. Uh, and yeah. uh, I think everybody was able to roll a lot of dice, both virtual and not, uh, over D&D celebration this uh, past weekend. Yes. How fun was that? Amazing. So many people got to uh, jump into fun games, explore the map of Icewind Dale uh, that was available on the web. Uh, Really cool, fun secrets in there as well Mm -hmm. as uh, subclasses and information about uh, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything that's coming up uh, in November on the 17th. Um, But it was mostly in celebration of... Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, that is in stores now. And uh, I, was, I was feeling a little bit chilly all weekend long. Absolutely. I, I had my, my blanket on my lap as I was playing and just felt all warm and cozy until the adventure started and then things just went sideways real fast. <laughs> it's real scary. The action started heating up. It, oh, it's, did so you get to times. snuggle up with any uh, owl bears uh, or uh, other animals? I wish. I wish I had a snowy owl bear. Just a, an old smelly dog, a very rude cat, and, uh, and a seven-year-old child. See? That's, you know, those are all monsters in our, in our oh, hearts. Oh, in their own way, for sure. <laughs> I just, you know, I just loved the idea, like, thinking, like, right now, at this very moment... People all over the world are playing Dungeons and Dragons. Like we're all really doing this together. It's yeah. it was a, a delightful feeling. It felt like um, you know if you went outside, uh, you could hear the rolling of dice just happening uh, yes. in, in the air. Yes, you know, like after I don't know if you've ever noticed in your neighborhood, but if you know when the Seahawks are playing <laughs> and like. <laughs> They score a touchdown, and then you can actually hear like people around the neighborhood cheering and screaming. It's kind of like that, it except was just it's like that. this sound. 
And it was psionically. Like yes. I feel like people were were yep. committing that uh, to sure. their psionic energy. It was a good time. I loved it. Uh, everybody did a great job putting together the event, and uh, I hope everyone had fun. And it was a model for how we can do these type of online events uh, in the future. Yes, yes, for sure. But we are gearing up for new and fun stuff, uh, including... Our guests today for our interview, uh, we get to talk to Jim Zub again and Jody Hauser again, two former guests that are working on a project together, a yes. Stranger Things D&D comic book series. And I can't wait to pick their brains more about that. We learned about it uh, at D&D Live back in June um, where they got to uh, talk about some of the characters and, and how they're going to... Uh, develop them from the, the Netflix show. And I can't wait to, to kind of see it more through a D&D lens in graphic novel form uh, when it's going to be out, I think, in October, right? We'll, we'll get the, we'll the deets mm-hmm. on that soon. Yes, lots of good stuff. Fun stuff. Too so we'll be talking to them um, and gearing up for Curse of Strahd Revamped. Ooh. What? Ooh. Revamped, you say? Ooh. Revamped? I want to suck your blood. That's Roll what it. that's what revamps do. <laughs> again, I want to suck your blood again. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> that's Strahd's voice, by the way. Thought, Did you know that, that Arnold Schwarzenegger playing I'm Strahd? Back. I'll be that's back a little from Arnold. The dead. I'm back. I'm revamped, you guys. <laughs> and I brought these really cool postcards you can give to your friends. <laughs> I'm in a coffin-shaped box. <laughs> <laughs> I have a beautiful dungeon master screen you can prop up so nobody sees what you're doing. I am already in my head pitching a uh, a D&D show with Arnold Schwarzenegger playing the Curse of Strahd character as the NPC. Let's do it. I would like to also see the Count from Sesame Street. <laughs> <laughs> ah, ah, ah. Ah, ah, ah. One damage. Two damage. <laughs> Three. Three. 20-sided die. <laughs> to be rolled. Yeah. Just in time for the spookiest time of year. Curse That's of Strahd. Right. Revamped. October 20th. That is uh, amazing because I know a lot of people love the Curse of Strahd adventure. Uh, yes. It was... I mean, we, we learned about this in, in Dragon Talks of Yore, but I don't think that book would have happened without Chris Perkins sitting down over a winter break and writing the adventure. Oh, uh, God, is that the one that he, he just, like, cranked out yeah. for just out of pure inspiration? I know, right? And he, I mean, it was, all, it, was, it was planned and all kind of on the schedule, but we were all like, I don't know if anybody's got time to write this. And then pff, I think Chris just did it over. And He's so like, uh, we'll be... Off talking to him on future episodes of this here podcast about that process once again uh, and what it was like working with the Hickmans uh, in researching the original Ravenloft and uh, all of the expansion and fun stuff you can get in Revamped um, to spice up your game because they're like, like the postcards you said? Taroka deck. A Taroka deck? How cool foil, foil, foil stamped? stamped. Yeah. <laughs> One, foil. two, three. Foil stamped. Foil stamped. <laughs> You know, this summer, you're going to see me down at Elkai Beach uh, with a little card table and a Taroka deck. And I'm just going to be like, Taroka deck fortune, let me tell you your fortunes. Are you going to be Madam Ava? Yes. Oh. I Until, like you know, 
somebody asks if I have a permit to be there and then shuts me down. <laughs> yeah, but, and then yeah. someone's like, I don't really need the Sword of the Sun. Um, and oh, where is Barovia again? But you do. You do. Yes. Well, I, I, I'm excited about this one because I just think it'll be cool for when my friends come over and they say, Shelly, why do you have a coffin on your bookshelf? And you're like, I was a goth kid. And mm -hmm. it's this really cool product that's out right and now. And I'm going to say, you don't know me. You don't know me at all. <laughs> I'm just a skater boy. I'll see you later, boy. Oh, my God. <laughs> Avril Lavigne just popped in my head. but Why? It felt like it was, you were like a 90s, uh, you know, mall kid. I don't know. I was an 80s there. mall kid. Yeah. No. I mean, you, I thought you were a 2010s mall kid. What are you talking about? Oh, I mean, that's true. Eighties. I mean, it just means like I used to like to wear like neon and stuff and be like retro and leg warmers. Yeah, I mean, not like when that stuff was actually first available and cool. No, my mom used to wear those. <laughs> my mom, Belinda Carlisle, used to wear those all the time. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> Okay. Oh, oh. Right. So, and then after that, we got Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, uh, which has pretty much everything in it. Uh, uh, new subclasses, new witch? spells. Witch. Uh-huh. It's a witch's <laughs> brew of D&D &D material that you can yes. spice up. I already used the spice uh, word, um, but it is pretty, pretty cool, the amount of material in there, and it is going to feel... I think, not, not like a new game or anything like that, but just it's going to feel like a wealth of options uh, that people can jump into. Similar to Xanathar's Guide to Everything, where everyone started to play all the cool subclasses in that uh, and bring it to the table for yep. um, their one-shots or campaigns. And I think the same thing's going to happen with Tasha's. Something for everyone. Faux really show. cool uh, puzzles and ideas for how you can, yes. can add puzzles to your game. Elisa Teague, cool uh, a good friend of the show, as well as uh, doing lots of great stuff for Dungeons and Dragons, uh, has been working on that stuff for a long time, and I can't wait to bring it to life. It's something that I've always wanted to incorporate into my Dungeons and Dragons games as a DM, but I just didn't have the skills as a puzzle writer. And so, yeah, yeah. I'm really excited well, it's to. A, it's a skill, all right. Right? But you're getting like basically the best of the best from Elisa. Just, she's like, here, I did it for you. Boom. Boom. Drop it into your game. That's the sound that a puzzle makes as it's being dropped into a D&D &D game. Everyone knows that. It yep. goes. Yep. Yeah, I like it. Yep. All right. Well, speaking of, we are going to have to uh, pop up a segment here. Uh, okay. Before we get to our interview, let's give a listen. I think it's even more information with you on Dungeon Mastering. Welcome to How to Be a Dungeon Master. I'm Shelley Mazenoble, and I am very excited by my very special guest. This is Jeremy Cobb, who is one-third of the podcast Three Black Halflings, where uh, the crew <laughs> discusses diversity in D&D and pop culture, which, hello, that rang my bell because... I feel like we we would have a lot to talk about there. Mm -hmm. And you also give DM tips, which is how I found you. Because as a fledgling wannabe dungeon master, I need all the tips that I can get. So, Jeremy, Ooh. thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm overjoyed to be here. This is I, awesome. 
am so excited. I I have it on good authority that we will be talking to you uh, more in depth on an, a Dragon Talk interview, uh, perhaps with your uh, the other two halflings. Yes, um, you get the full you'll get the full set of. Halflings. I can't wait! I can't yeah. wait. But I am I'm so excited. Um, newly discovered your podcast, um, and I feel like everybody should know about this podcast. So. Before we delve into some DM tips, can you give us just a little overview of of what the podcast is? Oh, yeah. Okay. It's me uh, and two of my friends, uh, Jasper Cartwright and uh, Unati. She has several names, but she basically goes by Unati. (laughs) Uh, And we talk about, as you said, uh, DMing, diversity, Dungeons and Dragons, all kinds of different pop culture stuff. Sometimes we'll give DM tips. We'll tell stories Uh, We call them Tales from the Table. We'll look at, like, sometimes we'll do a segment called Wiz of the Rings, where we'll, like, recast existing movies, but with, like, more diverse uh, casts. So we've done, like, well, we've done Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and stuff like that. Um, And then we've been been doing some interviews as well recently. Yeah. Uh, It's just, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Just people hanging out, uh, sharing D&D tips and having a good time. It is, and it, it, it makes me feel like, like, I find that I will sometimes talk back to you like oh wait they can't hear me because um it is it's very comfortable like it you can tell that the the three of you are are very good friends and Mm. I love hearing you erupt in laughter it always makes me laugh as well there's it's just it's just a good time chat about D&D but you're covering some really important topics that which is Mm. why Greg and I are excited to delve into those a little bit deeper but you do it in such a fun approachable way so um, oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm really. I'm excited. I'm excited to have discovered a, a new podcast that I can uh, drop in between all of my um, Bravo TV show recap podcasts <laughs> that I also <laughs> that I also really That's enjoy. Amazing. Yes. Do, do they still do Top Chef? Yes, they do. Oh, I used to love that show. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well. You can listen to the recaps if if you can't watch it yourself. <laughs> That's what uh, I'll hop on the recap bandwagon. Yeah. Sometimes the recaps are actually better than the episode, I will say. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing that the, the topic that I wanted to talk to you about uh, is homebrew. Um, mm-hmm. Now, initially when I thought about people had suggested like, oh, for you know, you, you should do a segment about homebrew campaigns. And at first I thought, no, because new dungeon masters don't need that kind of pressure. Like, we need to be on <laughs> rails. We need guidance. No, mm-hmm. like uh, to create my own campaign, my own world, it's just way too overwhelming. And then mm. I started to think about it and I thought, but if it was my own, I can make all the mistakes I want because then I could just say, well, yep. that's how it happens in my world. <laughs> exactly. So, so I don't know. Like, what do you think? Is is a homebrew world uh, a good idea for somebody uh, yeah. who's not that experienced? I, I, I honestly think it's a great idea. I have never actually run a published adventure, ever. Oh, my God. Uh, oh the my God. very first time I started DMing, it was entirely homebrew. What? Um yeah, well, for me, uh, my approach, I think, tends to simplify it because the idea of being like, I'm going to create an entire world, entire universe, understand everything, all the different groups of people, where they live, and they all have histories and all that, and then I'm going to put the players in there. That's like a really daunting idea in and of yes. itself. Um, so I don't do that. Uh, what I do is I talk to the players ahead of time about maybe what style of game they might like. 
Um, and then I basically go through the character creation process with them. So we'll talk about what character races they're interested in playing, what, uh, what class they're interested in playing, and then especially the backstory and who their character is and where their character's from and who they know and what they want. And once I have that, then I can build a story around that. And I only build the part that I need for the story that I'm telling right now. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you just see like the light bulb go off above my head? Wait. <laughs> Okay, you create the world after the characters and the backstories and all that has been created. I don't know why that's like such a novel concept. Like, that's amazing. (laughs) Of course. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, as an example, I do a noir game, uh, like a 1940s New York noir game with two of my best friends from high school. And almost everything that we were covering is in direct relation to what they wanted to do. One of them's like, I want to be a professional baseball player, plays for the New York Yankees. So it's like, okay, cool. I look at who was on the Yankees roster that year that this is set and create fantasy versions of them. I'm like, okay, we figure out why you're here. You're actually an Irish immigrant who came over. You lived in Boston. You've moved, just got traded to New York. You just shown up. You want to go out and be a vigilante. That was what he wanted to do. He basically is like baseball Batman. Uh, oh and then the God. other one's like, I'm an Italian immigrant who is, his dad works uh, at the docks. So I'm like, I'm a longshoreman. I dropped out of high school. And so it's like, okay, how do we get these guys together? Well, clearly if this guy's wanting to fight crime and this guy works at the docks, somebody's got to come in through the docks. So now this guy shows up to stop it. This guy is getting involved. And like, it all builds from there. Uh, and everything becomes like a reaction to what they wanted to do. And so I don't need to know what's happening in most of the United States or even in most of New York City. All I need to know is what's happening in the circle directly surrounding these people. Uh, and and it's, it's absolutely fine. I would say it's a blast, actually. That actually makes so, so much sense, especially just building out, like you said, the, the world that you, the part of the world that you're in that you need to know. But you, don't you need to be like kind of ahead of the game a little? Because like, what if they go somewhere else that you didn't expect? Or how does that, that, that's the part that scares me. I would say the trick to that is if, this is very much going to depend on your players, but if you spend time ahead of time with them, ironing down what their characters, who their characters are and what they want, and then you dangle what they want in front of them, they're almost never going to not go after what they want because you didn't tell them what they want. They told you what they wanted. So if, if a character is like, I just, my character just dreams of having a cat. And then suddenly they see uh, a poster saying that the, the, the dogs and cat shelter is having a free giveaway of oh. animals and you needed them to get to this shelter. Who in their right mind is not going to go after and go try and get okay. a cat from this shelter? You know yes. what I mean? So yes. you don't have to try and make them go there. You just say, this is happening. And they're like, that's where I'm going. Oh my God. That's, that's also genius. <laughs> that's okay. Yes. So you will build a world around the players, mm-hmm. characters, mm-hmm. the backstories, the type of game that they want. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll, I'll use elements from, like, published works. So, you know, the existing classes, existing races, monsters, deities, so in some cases, lore. Um, but I'll definitely mix them in with my own ideas and what the characters want to do and 
alter stuff pretty much as necessary. Okay. For the campaign. So if you're gonna if you're a new dungeon master, you're gonna try to do a little homebrew in here. Like what what sorts of things do you have to have in your homebrew campaign? Like do you need a home base? Do you need NPCs? Say you need to know where the immediate place where your characters are, where the PCs are. You need to have, I would say, some idea of whatever NPCs or threats there are that they might face in that vicinity. Um, and you need to know, especially if it's like uh, you're just starting out, I think it's very, very helpful to know where you want them to mm -hmm. go and talk with them ahead of time so that we all know where you're trying to go. So like the first session I ever did, um, ever DM'd, uh, the, one of the characters had really wanted to be, like her goal was to try and make her way in the world. So she had started like a scouting business like uh, basically like a wilderness tours business and all of the other characters were on her wilderness tour for varying reasons, but they all had reasons to be going into this forest. And then once in the forest, they came to a crossroads and there were two options. There was like a really ominous cave that seemed to have some kind of dark power in it. And then off in the forest, they heard somebody screaming and they could either chose to go, choose to go after the screaming or go into the cave. And then I had, I had planned kind of what would happen or what they would find in those in either direction. But okay. I would say, especially early on, a certain level of railroading, I think, is helpful, if only because not only it's helpful for you as the dungeon master, but especially for your players, because everybody's not only getting to know their, their players, but or excuse me, their characters, but the world as a whole. So you don't, most people aren't going to feel comfortable just jumping in and attempting to make huge, bold decisions that'll affect everything. They need some guidance as to like, so what is there to do here? Like, what are the people like? Where can I go? And so if you set that out, it won't necessarily feel like railroading. You're just giving them what they're already looking for. Mm -hmm. And then from there, once you have all that established, you've essentially built a world and now they can really start to play. Uh, and you've only built what you needed along the way. Uh, so it's, oh, it's less total work, I would say, at least up front. Yeah, and but, then I guess you're also kind of being constantly inspired too by mm -hmm. the things and that are happening in the game and the choices the players are making, which can help you keep so building much. that world. So much. Uh, it's the 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 campaign, the first ever campaign that I started is still running, and so much of it has been shaped by decisions players have made. Some of which absolutely shocked me and have have had such large repercussions even decisions made in like the third ever session are now coming to fruition a year and a half later um, oh wow and it's it's just based on like them me creating something them responding to it and then me responding to their decisions and it basically being like a back and forth of storytelling basically so how do you keep track of everything in this world <laughs> A lot of notes. Um, I use I use Evernote as a program, and each uh, you, where you can like basically have a notebook and base have the uh, notebook for an entire campaign, and then you can make individual notes for each session, and then you can also like eat, uh, you can also make individual notes for say you want to like have a list of ideas that you want to stick into this campaign eventually, or you want to like have you want to list all of like the lore stuff that you've established so you have it somewhere you can have all of that and so as you're you can just have those windows open up on your computer so you can be like 
right. So you, this happened and blah, blah, blah. If somebody asks a question. Um, so it can be very oh helpful God. to have that kind of stuff, I would say. Y- yeah. What is that called? What was that? Ever what? Evernote. 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 It's okay. a free program. I think you can get a professional version, but I've only ever used a free one. And oh it's been gosh. fun. Okay. So if you are only building out a little, I'm, I'm kind of like stuck on this idea because <laughs> it's changed everything that I thought about how to, about homebrewing. I thought like <laughs> I had to know it all. And then like, but so if I, you're only building out a little bit of the world at a time. And then, so what, like if you, if you're playing weekly, like after every session, do you just like build out a little bit more? Like, do you just plan your next session yeah. by just building a little bit more and then yeah. a little bit more the next time and that's it? And well, you can also say, okay, I want to have like an overarching story. Mm-hmm. So you'll establish something that's in the distance that the characters can eventually interact with. Yeah. So uh, in one of our, ca- in, in that campaign, we had uh, one of the players is playing a Duergard dwarf. And I was like, she doesn't know any other Duergard dwarves. It would be really interesting for her to meet some. And also I found the lore surrounding the Duergard dwarves really interesting that they're a group of people that were horribly twisted and oppressed. Basically, they, they're all of the bad things that they do now are as a result of the horrific oppression that they suffered for like hundreds or thousands of years at the hands of the mind flayers. And so their entire philosophy is born out of the suffering that they as a people have endured, which to me is a really interesting concept. So I'm yeah. like, okay, well, we have a Duergar in the team and we have a really interesting moral issue here. So we'll, how do we maybe merge these things? And it was just a matter of, okay, there was a Duergar who got banished. So he's close enough for them to be able to find him. And then from there, it's like, how do we get him to go to the city? Well, they'd met this other village of people um, that they really liked. And uh, Duergar liked to enslave people. These people didn't have a military. They got enslaved. And in fact, not only that, but the player's favorite NPC from that village managed to escape and is, they find him collapsed in the cave and he begs them to help him take, save his people. Now, oh, the good. only reason this NPC has shown up again is because they liked him in the first place. Um, so they ha- it's not even me telling them they have to do it. It's me setting a thing that they already would have wanted to do in front of them and yes. then they go and do it. Uh, and then it kind of, I would build up the city in the sessions leading up and build up the the land between them and the city and all that stuff. But it would be like, I'd have like an end goal in mind. Uh, but then everything in between that is like, I don't know how we're going to get there, but we'll figure it out as we go. And that's the part that scares me. But like, it seems like, like dungeon masters love that too. Like, it's kind of like, you know, it's new and exciting for them too. They're discovering the world and the adventure kind of alongside the players. So I guess mm. I just have to get comfortable with the idea that you don't have to know everything. Yeah. And here's the thing, if they're asking for something, if they're play, what you would look at, I, I would say to just to cover your bases ahead of time, is look at who the characters are and what they would be likely to know. And if there's something that they would be likely to know about this world that you haven't mm-hmm. planned yet, it might be a good idea to at least come up with a vague idea of it in case they ask. But if they wouldn't know and they ask for it, you can just be like, oh yeah, well, because of this, this, you probably wouldn't know this information you can roll and see if you get like a hint of it. And then you just come up with like a quick little hint about it, but it's, they don't know everything. Like maybe they heard like a rumor one time about something, but mm-hmm. they don't know everything. And now you're like, okay, well we have this, but on top of that, that's now something they're interested in. So you know that this is something the care that players want to do. So you can start to build that. 
in the future as well. Yeah, I guess that's always like, at least with like a published adventure, it kind of like tells you what the what the party would know at this point. Yeah. So I guess with <laughs> yeah. a homebrew, like I don't know that I would know how much I would need to disclose to them. Yeah, it's only as much as you want them to know. And as much as you think that they would need to know in order to be able to proceed with the adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the, the main trade-off that from, because I've played in some um, published campaigns. I've never DM'd one, but I've played in some, and then I know a lot of people who have run them. And it seems essentially like the main trade-off is if you're playing a published campaign, you have a real sense of structure. And there's a sense of safety there because you now know kind of what's going to happen. You can build a whole bunch of stuff around that but we have the basic story in place already. Whereas with uh, a homebrew adventure, you can basically do whatever you want. So you lose the safety, but you gain potentially more freedom with what you want to do. And you also gain potentially a greater ability to respond to the desires and needs of the players and the PCs as well. Yeah, this is crazy. Like I honestly, like you're blowing my mind here because... (laughs) I always just thought like I would never do this, but the more you're talking mm. about it, the more it's like this actually could be a really good place to start. It, it's, it's so it can be so much fun, and it can be so rewarding. Because yeah. another thing that I would really stress for first time DMs is, uh, and it's it's built into kind of the the idea of we establish the world with the players ahead of time. Mm-hmm. But anything adventure wise that happens should be as much as possible tied into the actual desires of the characters. So it okay. shouldn't just be like, I just really want, uh, I want to have a bunch of oozes that are just consuming the land and it has nothing to do with anything. I mean, this is right. a cool idea for a story potentially, like a big natural disaster, but it's more interesting if the first city these people, these oozes are going to hit is the player's home city and we know NPCs from there and like we've met their parents and right. the parents aren't going to be able to get away in time. And so now they really have to save them. And on top of that, maybe one of the players is like in line for the throne here and they have to save this kingdom or else they're just not going to have a kingdom to inherit. And suddenly like this natural disaster, which is just a cool idea in and of itself, now has real emotional stakes because if those players fail to save that city, that hits hard. Mm-hmm. It's not just like, oh, we lost that battle and had to run away. It's like, oh, no. And it can really affect then how the character deals with the world after that. Because it's like, I'm an orphan because I failed to save my parents. And the other one's like, the, the, the one who's in line for the throne is like, I am failing my people. How can I call myself a ruler when I can't even protect the people that I'm supposed to be ruling? And like, you can end up with some really, and you're not the one providing this. It's just happening out of the situation. And then they get to respond to it. And then essentially you build more story out of it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this makes sense. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm glad it makes you're sense. You're giving me yeah, a lot. It's... Yeah. A lot to, to think about because the, yeah, you've, you're convincing me. And of course, like <laughs> you, you alluded to earlier that you can still use elements of published adventures to, you know, Absolutely. Like with the monsters, the like, what mm-hmm. magic items, things like that you can pull from, from anywhere. It's your yeah. And, and if you needed to, you can even now, since you're doing homebrew, say I did a, recently we had an arc where they were fighting, the players were fighting a bunch of lycanthropes. Uh, and I was like, well, these characters are like level five, level six, level seven. 
uh, one where rat, the where rat stat block ain't going to cut it right now. Like we got to pump these guys up, give them some more stuff. And now we start to build a society out of this. Maybe these were rats also, this particular were rat is also a wizard. So you combine the were rat stat block with the mage stat block and you're like, uh, and you start to build, or maybe you're like, you know what? I want, I actually did this. I was like, I really want them to fight something that's super agile in a tree. So I gave them, I had them fight a were gibbon who was a wizard. And so I basically created a stat block from, uh, for the were gibbon that was based on, I think it was like the existing were rat and werewolf stat blocks, but just with some abilities that would be like gibbon specific. So like tree climbing stuff and things like that. Uh, and then uh, she also could just cast spells. Uh, and this, the, something that on its own may not have been a super threat to level six or seven characters suddenly became really difficult to deal with because now you have a person 40 feet above you throwing fireballs down on you and you can't even get to them because they're running around to the other side of the tree every single time. Uh, that seems unnecessarily uh, really cruel. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. The I mean, Dungeon Master they says the interesting. <laughs> <laughs> they, still, they still won the battle in the end. Uh, the Druid had such a smart strategy of just continually moving just out of range of counterspell, and she, she fully saved the day. It was oh. As a DM, I was like torn between uh, being so frustrated and so proud. Yes, yes. <laughs> I imagine that's a feeling Dungeon Masters have to experience all the time. The yeah. torn between. Yes, it's kind of like be, like being a, a parent as well. Like your kid does something really inappropriate, but kind of kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or it's like, lie. or you like you you're doing something, and your kid's like, "But mom, you said that you shouldn't do this," and you're like, "Darn it, they learned." I know right. they learned. Oh, you listened, yeah. and now you're throwing it in my face. Mm. Yeah, yes. exactly. So one of the other things in just a, the couple minutes that we, we have left here is that I, mm-hmm. what do you, I saw on your uh, description of things you guys talk about, DM mishaps. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I know we probably need more time and we can touch on it later, but mm-hmm. I feel like that's probably something I need to talk to you about. Yeah. I mean, the first one I made right off the bat was when I first started DMing, I didn't I had not played very much, so I didn't really know how important constitution was as an ability score. And so our ranger ended up with like an eight for constitution. The druid had a 10, uh, and that was a problem for like the ranger kept getting knocked out. And so I eventually was like, okay, look, guys, I made a mistake. We got to reroll this because this is is my fault. I told you guys to put those there. Like I said, yeah, it'll be fine. Uh, or another example, this is one, this is an important, uh, I think, principle. Do not include any item in your campaign that you are not okay with the players eventually getting. Because I, at one point, had this character show up with, he was, I mean, he was never, this was, he was never supposed to lose. But he was, he showed up, he had the wings of flying, he had a, the, the flame tongue sword, he had the cubic gate, and all these things. And, I had not anticipated them turning on this guy, but not only did they turn on him, but one of them managed to knock him out and he got his mind eaten by an intellect devourer. It's a whole thing. But essentially, the druid got a hold of the cubic gate. Oh, no. And so now now I'm like, oh, my God, they can just teleport anywhere. Oh, no. And so my, my, my plans started to get so long for every session because now I had to be like, 
I have to start building every single location that they might want to go to. Uh, and it was so stressful. It was such a stressful period. You c- couldn't you have just like broken it? Like, just like, oh, I don't know what happened. You got uh, I didn't want to. I don't want to do that. <laughs> that would be. You don't want to. You don't want to punish the players. No, for doing you're something right. Creative. You get like that would be. Like it's like you you uh, Sir or King Arthur pulls Excal or gets Excalibur out of the lake and it's like oh sorry bro uh, it's the blade rusted in the water and broke off my it's disintegrating. bad disintegrating yeah, yeah sorry all that that salt air it'll do it yeah I mean the the hilt is still cool right fine <laughs> all right yeah. well clearly I have a lot to learn about being a dungeon master but. Oh, I um, still have a lot to learn. It's a whole learning process. Trust me, you never stop learning. You don't as stop a learning. Master. But you never. do need to just start. So I feel like that's mm-hmm. what my goal is. Just just start. And you know what? I might just start with a world that I create with the help yeah. of my players. But of course. It's so much fun. It, absolutely give it a shot. Absolutely. Okay. And anyone out there who hasn't done it. Please give it a shot. It's way, it's, it's a lot more fun and rewarding than you might think and less yeah. scary than you might think. That's the part that, that I am actually very surprised at. It, you are making it seem less scary and like a, like a good idea, a good place to start. So um, I know there's a million other things that we could be talking about. Uh, you've given me so many ideas. I was writing things down for next time because um, mm-hmm. there will be a next time. But Oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I um, just want to thank you for uh, Mm. taking the time to do this and um, enlightening me and giving me some really good tips. And hopefully for um, other people out there who are considering spending a little bit of time behind the screen. You've made it a little less daunting for us. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a real Uh, pleasure. Will you tell people where they can find you and learn more about Three Black Halflings, the amazing podcast? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, we have our Twitter page at TB Halflings. Uh, our um, our show is a podcast is available on pretty much every major podcasting platform. It's just called Three Black Halflings. And actually, um, if you're interested in hearing more about my DMing style as well as the DMing styles of the other two players, we actually yes. have episodes. Uh, by the time this is released, I think all three of us will have episodes out. That uh, deliver that actually talk about our DMing styles. I think mine will be the most recent episode. Jasper's is called Trash Puppies and Cheese. If you want to find that one, Andunati's okay. is called Mansa Musa Ain't Got Nothing on Me. Uh, and they're both uh, Unati actually uh, exclusively does um, published adventures. So the, you'll hear okay. three different approaches to DMing. That's uh, amazing. And actually, uh, lastly, we also have we have a Twitter stream that will have already happened, or uh, excuse me, a Twitch stream that will have already happened by the time this comes out. But if you want to hear my DMing in action, uh, you'll hear me running a game in the new Wagadu setting by Twin Drums. Uh, It's it's an Africa-based 5E setting. Uh, And that'll be released in, I think, on Twitch when this is out, and actually also in podcast form. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so if you want to hear this in action, there you go. I do. Absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. That's incredible. I uh, clearly um, you've, you're keeping busy. Also, people should definitely check out um, just 
your Twitter feed um, for Three Black Halflings because it's very, very entertaining just to read. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Jasper does a great job with it. He's the main one who runs it. He does a fantastic job. That's awesome. All right, Jeremy, thank you so much. I look forward to the next time that we chat. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Shelly. Look forward to it too. All right. Take care. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Best interviewer I've ever heard. What is her name? She's, she's really good. She's, I am. I don't even know what dungeon mastering means, but I'm ready to try it. But I am in like Flynn. I dropped my D20. <laughs> First rule of dungeon mastering: don't drop the D20. And if you do, it's cool. Make it seem like you meant to do that. I dropped it like yeah. the mic. Bam. Uh, Jeremy Cobb. Really excellent dungeon master and really inspiring. There was so much that I, as he, as he was talking, I was thinking, yeah, that makes sense. Hmm? But I never would have thought of that. So I really like talking to dungeon masters. It's They're happening. good people. And they seem to really want more dungeon masters. Yeah. I love that you are, uh, everyone, you're getting, I think, 5% closer to becoming a uh, a functioning, 100% committed dungeon master. I I am, Greg. I really am. (laughs) I keep thinking about these kids at Quinn's after-school program and thinking, oh, "Oh, man. Yeah. I think you guys would like to play some Dungeons & Dragons with me. I saw uh, another friend of ours on Twitter said that they recently ran for, uh, for I think, seven to nine-year-olds. Um, oh, yes. Uh, our friend from GameholeCon. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, so it's possible, and I, you're right. It's definitely needed <laughs> it at this point. I was thinking about setting up a, a D&D after-school thing on Fridays with just my girls uh, to, to get some activities in. That they is would not love just, that. Yeah. Yeah, since yeah. we can't play outside. <laughs> yes. Although, yes, it's looking actually pretty clear out there today. Yeah, the sun is shining. Uh, we've been dealing with some some smoke issues uh, here in the Seattle area as we're recording this, but it is finally, I think, uh, blowing away. Hopefully. It'll just go to some other municipalities. Yeah. It'll be fine. become someone else's problem. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. I am excited to talk to... Jody and Jim, should we get them on the horn? Yes, please. Let's go. <laughs> Welcome, Jim Zub and Jody Hauser to Dragon Talk. Welcome, Yay! you Yay! Back again. You can't get rid of me. No. Yeah, same. Both yeah. of you. <laughs> yeah, Return that's what guests. we were saying. Return guests. You guys keep cranking out great uh, things, and we just have to keep talking to you about them. So it's your that fault. Okay. It's your that's fault right. for being back here. <laughs> And for this one, yes. you two are working on a project together. Your yes. minds have melded. <laughs> yes, I, I would, there are some pieces I think I'd like back, but we'll find <laughs> out later. <laughs> My mind has expanded. Yeah, yeah Jody and I have known each other for a few years now, uh, previously just on the convention circuits and um, a mutual love of karaoke, particularly yeah. when we're in Seattle, actually. Uh, and, and, uh, the, she's been doing the Stranger Things comics over at Dark Horse and I've been doing the official D&D comics since fifth edition launched. Lo and behold, now they are together 
in an amazing and so are we. combination. Yeah, and so are we, which is the best part. So it's the official Stranger Things and Dungeons and Dragons comic miniseries from Dark Horse and IDW that is launching in November. And it is the peanut butter and chocolate of all the good things. So this is, is now, Jim, you're coming to the Stranger Things comic world because there's a D&D Mm-hmm. Angle yeah, in I got it now that was kind not of pulled there. into it. I mean, obviously, you know, Stranger Things has had a D and D kind of element bubbling yeah. beneath the surface since the beginning, but this is really delving deeper into the side of the story. And uh, Jody's got such an amazing handle on the characters. Tell, yeah, tell people about the what it's been like to write the the comics, Jody. Um, yeah, well, I, this is actually technically the I wrote the fourth uh, Stranger Things miniseries and co-wrote with Jim at the same time. So I've been doing the Stranger Things characters for a while. And the first miniseries we did actually focused on Will in season one in the Upside Down. So it was sort of like a companion piece to the first season. And much as uh, we saw how the boys framed everything that they were going through through Dungeons and Dragons so they could have some language and a grasp on how to handle this. Uh, Will does the same thing, except, you know, they've kind of split the party, so he's off by himself. And one of the things we did in that miniseries was do a couple flashbacks to their game sessions, because that was really the only way we could have the other boys in the comic was to show when they were together because they weren't for the pretty much the entirety of the story so you know that was sort of seeded in from the very start of the stranger things comics so this uh, mini series really delves deep into that aspect of it and just shows the whole history of the group, group as a gaming group and they yeah, include it's, some it's, of the newer characters that were introduced in season two and season three right yeah oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've got Max in there as well. And of course, Eleven uh, has a, a big role to play. So what's amazing about the, the the new comic is it really kind of shows their history of friendship framed through Dungeons and Dragons. Um, so when the series starts, it's before the first episode of first season. It's literally how they discover D&D, how they buy their first kind of you know basic set. Um, how they meet Dustin, because he's not part of the group originally when they buy D&D. He meets them through the game. So oh, one of cool. the weirdest things was getting to write how the boys meet Dustin, their very first conversation in the cafeteria at school, talking about gaming and, and stuff like that. And then each uh, issue kind of moves the timeline forward through the seasons, showing how they're changing, growing more mature, how their friendship is tightening. And we're showing both in-game and out out-of-game elements and how they kind of weave in and out of each other um, as those bonds of friendship grow. And it, it's, such a, it's such a nostalgia bomb for me because they, they're playing the same era of D&D that I grew up in. So I just get to like re-attach myself to all those things and, and reignite kind of my memories of playing D&D in that era with my older brother and my cousins and all that kind of excitement we had at the table. That, that real raw energy that was coming across as you're discovering stuff with each new book and each new adventure, you know? And for me, like a lot of my current friend circles are because of long-term RPG games. So getting to see how the game changes and their relationships change over the span of a number of years. And obviously uh, a little bit crazier stuff than me and my friends have gone through. We hmm. haven't fought any interdimensional monsters yet, yet but yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, time. just seeing how everything that they go through impacts both their regular lives and their game lives. This I is really that. cool. Yeah, because like I remember when Stranger Things first dropped, 
And I think I, I was like off visiting my parents and Bart actually like called me. I don't even think like, we usually just text each other, but he <laughs> actually called to say, Your I just watched the amazing, the most amazing show. And it's, it's absolutely my childhood. You have to watch this. Right. Like, and because he, he was there, like, you know, in the 80s discovering D&D. Mm-hmm. So I, I love hearing, I also love that about Stranger Things, even though I did not play D&D in the 80s, but I, I loved seeing the friendship form, but, you know, because of this game. So hearing the two of you talk about how you have these real life experiences that are helping to inform that really integral part of the story is yeah, and Jody and I are actually in a weekly game now. We're playing for fun with people. So we're playing D&D and other role-playing games every single week. And it's been a wonderful way to, you know, keep ties with people that we care about and and have that escapist quality. But also, before the game starts, everyone jumps on for about probably 20 minutes to half an hour. And we just, you know, chat. How you been? What's new? How's yeah. everything going? And those those bonds really matter, you know, now more than ever. But honestly... Yeah, it's been so nice being able to write a story that's... The in-game stuff is tons of fun because I get to dig through the old books and pull out really weird little strange creatures and messed up stuff. But but the character story and the emotional quality of why we play these games and why they matter and the friendships that form from them and how they, they last, that is really why we're doing the book. And I think what's going to make it extra resonant for people when they're reading that it's not just a fantasy adventure it's about you know why we roll the dice and and the the qualities that make role-playing games so unique and i mean it was important because there is the history of both stranger things and D comics and we didn't want this book to feel really ancillary to one or the other we wanted it to really be a melding of both uh, which is why I think having us co-write it actually was probably the best approach because we're both coming from those two different sides. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Did I you also guys got focus to, on, oh. on those? So like when Jim, you were doing the in-game stuff and Jody, you were doing the out-of-game stuff generally? Generally. To an extent, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. we, we definitely broke up each issue into composite scenes. Like uh, one of us would outline the issue. Here's how I think structurally it should work and then kind of bounce that stuff back and forth. It was a pretty similar process when I co-wrote uh, an Avengers event that I did with two other writers. Uh, one person would sort of architect the issue. This is what needs to happen. Here's how many pages each scene will be. Here's where those scene breaks will happen. Here are your scenes, write those. And then we kind of Frankenstein monster the script together and then tinker. So sometimes you'd go, oh, that line of dialogue would work better over here. Or that's a great thing. Can we shift that a little bit? Or let's take, you know, other elements and, and, and pepper them around. And so it's a really kind of, it's a really creative process and it's a really fun one as well because it's, it's not just my writing and it's not just Jody's. It really does only work because both of us are doing it together. Just like at the table. Yeah, we yeah. alternated the outlining of the issues too. So no one got stuck with too much work. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Oh, but okay. I'm going to assign you all of the scenes and then I'll yeah. just be here and I'll read them. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yes. I'll, and get, then I, I would I'll go, give feedback on those. Thank you. Right, right. <laughs> and then I would, for each one, I would do pretty heavy research into making sure, because the show has very specific calendar dates as well. So I made sure which D&D products were out during each 
season. So oh, I wouldn't nice. reference something like Monster Manual 2. If it you know if somebody there. would have called you out right? on that too. Exactly. And, mm-hmm. and which creatures they could use or which stats they would have had. And these kids don't have a complete collection of what would have come out. So I didn't want to make it too exhaustive. One of the things that happens in, in regular D&D anyways, but certainly at that age when you don't have access to the whole collection, you would just kit bash stuff and you would change stuff or you would misinterpret things. And, and we purposefully <laughs> put little bits of that stuff in there. If all you've got is a couple of the books and a Dragon Magazine issue, you just take everything you got and you Frankenstein monster that thing together and make it fun to play. That's what know? I was like and thinking that, about. Like, how do you research go into like the zines and the and the Judges Guild stuff that was happening at that time? And oh, see- so in the first issue, <laughs> there's very little that was out at that time when they got their first basic set. Like, this isn't even the Red Box. This yeah. is the one before that. This is the original basic set. And so the there were some details in the there, blue, like the blue. Uh, um, yeah, I, yeah, I looked up which miniatures were available. And there weren't very many official D&D miniatures. Most people were using uh, other war game miniatures. So I found photos of which war game miniatures were available. And we used, you know, so those designs on the table or things like that. Or the fact that the original D&D set didn't have uh, a D20 that went 1 to 20 because they were from a math set collection. They're 1 to 10 twice and you would mark off half of the sides with a high 10 or a low 10. And so stuff like that... Uh, I wanted to get that accurate. You know, I'm literally sending oh the colors God. notes that says the dice can't be different colors. They're these specific colors because those were the only ones that were available in the original set. You I know? love that. So d- d- dumb stuff that 99% of the readership won't notice, but I wanted to get right. You know, what yeah. was the original suggested retail price for the basic set? Well, I sent a bunch of questions to you guys to make sure I got that stuff right, you know, so that they at the cash register, it's correct. And just dumb stuff, like like crazy details. So. What I love about yeah, I like it. Go ahead, Jody. I think Jim had like a little bit of a harder time with that because <laughs> I have, a, I, I was more focused on the show continuity and just also continuity of pop culture references that they would be making and what was out at the time. So I think I had a little bit less history to manage than Jim did. I think the only one that the pop culture one I was all caught up on, there's a dialogue sequence where they're talking about the movie Alien, how Alien's really scary. And for a bit there, I thought, oh, they can't talk about it because the movie's not out yet. And then I checked, oh, actually... It would have been in theaters that summer. Okay, well, yeah. we got a couple months. We can, you know, make it work. They would have heard rumors of the scariest movie ever, or whatever. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, I've had to. I've had to do a lot of that uh, with the main series too. There was one issue where they reference, uh, I think, the book Jaws. <laughs> so that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, and it's fun though. It's a neat little like. Whenever you have those kinds of limitations, it forces you to get creative in different ways, you know? So you're, you, you've been given this timeline and this structure. How does this work? How does this all fit together? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the first issue, a lot of it is built off one line of dialogue from the first issue of Stranger Things where someone says, I think Dustin says they've been playing D&D for, I want to say, three years. So I'm like, well, that tells you three when years ago is when they started. What year is it? What products are out? Well, how would they have, you know, gone? And the yeah. red box wasn't out yet, so I had to roll it back to the previous one, and that's and that's true. from one line of dialogue. You know, it's like that's weird. important though. Speaking yep. of dialogue, so, did you get the word dingus into this uh, <laughs> series at all? <laughs> I don't, no, I don't remember. I don't recall. Actually, that was my favorite part of this last season, where this that was used uh, throughout. Uh, I love the, 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 the 
the 80s slang or like weird yeah. fun, you know, ridic- I love when, um, um, so like Lucas's shirts, he's always wearing like ninja t-shirts or like karate martial arts. I love <laughs> Which that was such stuff. a big like deal weird. back then. Everybody had like huge. their little throwing really stars and their nunchucks. Every kid wanted ninja stars in the 80s. It was great. Yeah. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> was uh, in everyone's That's brain. That's amazing. It Teenage was. Yeah. It was so much fun to, to, like I said, to re-tap into those feelings that I had at the yeah. table and the pure creativity because it didn't feel like there were any limits and there are no limits. You can make a, the game, whatever you want it to be. And it kind of reminded me of that, that, yeah. that as long as you were having a good time, you know, and people at the table are entertained with you, then you're doing it right. And well, I think we need like to all remember that. This part, you know, the, the, the extrapolation that you guys are doing in this series is, uh, kind of expanding the part I loved about the show the most, which was that it wasn't just one storyline or or one group of characters necessarily. It was the interactions between them, especially the ones, the metaphysical connections. Like there, it's yeah. not just these kids going through school together. It's that with the layer of them fighting this extraterrestrial monster or whatever, and then the other layer of them finding out themselves during adolescence in the game, right, with the, all the roles of happening within there. Uh, so, Jody, what was it like trying to figure out how to to keep things that were dramatic in one of those settings and keep them dramatic in those? And is that is that kind of theme explored in the series? I mean, I think so, and I think it helps that when you're a kid and you're especially like starting to approach the teenage years, everything is dramatic. Like, there's not anything that is sort of chill and cool like you will freak out about (laughs) making sure that everyone has the right time and the right moments and experiences at the table as you will about getting chased by like government agents and giant monsters (laughs) everything seemed everything feels life or death at that age and we did sort of delve into that a little bit because you know being focused on the game we were a little less focused on all the crazy supernatural stuff Mm. Uh, Because a lot of this is more sort of their downtime because, you know, when you're on the run, you don't have time to stop and play a session as we saw in the third season. (laughs) Yes. Really wanted to play D&D. So, but, but yeah. yeah, And, and, and also they're still dealing with a lot of experiences that were just crazy and that's not going to fade away just because they are, you know, getting to sit around and play. Yeah. And it informs each other. The filtering through some of the trauma that they've gone through because of it, and mm. they're able to reframe it because of the game, right? There's yeah. a whole sequence about Mike not knowing if it's worth running the game again because they just fought real monsters. Who cares right. about yeah. sitting down how's, to play? How's this going to compare? Right, and yet he realizes how important it is because it's, it's what holds the group together. And mm-hmm. so there's some really cool kind of back and forth sort of emotional moments that we worked into it because of that. There's an old yeah, so, video that I was produced in the fifth edition era. I think it was around the loot crate, uh, the D and D loot crate thing. But it's one of my favorite pieces of D and D entertainment that nobody knows about uh, because it, it, it encapsulates a lot of this about how it's really about the group of friends and mm-hmm. the context. And it goes, it shows you know people around a table as kids getting together and oh, it's a new kid, bring him into our D and D group, um, and then it shows them as adults, uh, right. and then they're still together. They still have those same moments, and then. Um, one of their daughters kind of joins the group uh, accidentally and there's this nice passing of the torch moment. And I think the best D&D entertainment comes from that combination or at least the reaction or the, the, the interaction between what happens at the table and then what happens in the fantasy world. Absolutely. But also new players bring so much um, 
enthusiasm and energy to a table and shake things up in a way that I think is really amazing. Mm-hmm. I love introducing people to role-playing games because they come at they solve problems in very different ways because they don't come pre-built with the assumptions of the structural stuff that we're all so used to, right? So when I run a game for a brand new group and I say, you can do anything, and they're like, what does that mean exactly? And I'm like, well, you tell me you know, how you want to react to the situation and then I'll tell you what, what dice you need to roll or vice versa or whatever. And, and the moment that that becomes true, that they say something kind of weird, well, I mean, I kind of want to you know, break the door down. And you're like, yeah, you can totally do that. Roll this and this. And, and their eyes light up because you're like, what? Because you're not used to being given that control or that input into your own experiences. You know what I mean? Or even within a video game, hundreds, thousands of options, there's still limitations, you know? But if mm-hmm. I say to you, go wild, you tell me how, what we're going to do and then we'll, we'll see how that all plays out. There's something so pure about people's reaction to that. I love that moment when they go, oh, oh, this is oh, cool. You, you really do mean it. <laughs> oh, yeah. So okay. that, but then we're doing this. And then it's this weird interplay of, well, how far can we push this? Or how crazy is it going to get? And their excitement level rising and rising. And everyone else at the table gets giddier because of it. I love that yeah. stuff. That is, yeah, my, fa- my favorite is, you know, when you have a new player at the table and they have just like such a crazy idea. And the DM's like, technically maybe can't do that, but that's so cool. I'm going to let you do it anyway. And like, those are my favorite. It's like, again, the rules are really the only rails you have and it's easy enough to sort of step off them. If you know, rule of cool comes up. Yeah. Yeah, And the dungeon master is like on your side to wants to see that happen because it's so fun and everyone at the table is excited to see it, you know, play out. And, and that, that's the stuff that you can't, you know, it's hard to explain to people if they haven't had those experiences before, if yeah. they haven't played it before. So tell me about yeah. your, uh, your gaming group. How has that uh, been going? And what's, <laughs> what, what are you in, in the thick of right now? We're playing, we're playing Edge of the Empire. We're playing Star Wars right oh, now. Oh, nice. Yeah, so it's been a rotating series of games, which was kind of unexpected. I think we pulled together to play just a one-off adventure. And then what happened was uh, we had so much fun doing it that someone else, jumped up and said, I'll run the next game and then I'll run the next game. And so now it seems like it's going to be this round robin of everyone's pulling out their favorite RPGs or pulling out their favorite old adventures and let's let's have a have a blast with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, my character who is a like teenage Tagorian giant <laughs> alien thing uh, challenged Chewbacca to a fight yesterday. It went poorly. Was, went oh. re- I knew it went poorly <laughs> for who? <laughs> Poorly for, for Chewbacca. For oh yeah, no, <laughs> no, no, she, no. Chewbacca was like what adversary three, I think. She should have it, let yeah. the, she should have let the Wookiee win. You know that was. That was <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I was taller than him. It's uh, but this is the great thing about it, right? You just you're having these fun experiences around yeah. the table, right? So uh, yeah, yeah, I've played actually more tabletop games this year than I have in in probably the three years previous, just because the technology's allowed us and given us more reasons to need that outlet. Yeah. You know, it's been cool. I mean, yeah, yeah right now, Jim and I are on opposite coasts, but we're still in a weekly game, mm-hmm. which is uh, normally we would have just played a few sessions throughout the year at whatever convention we happen to be at at the same time. So. Yeah, and even that would be this breakneck thing you're trying to squeeze in between other... Right, and there's know, probably more, more, yeah. more drinking and catching up than actual play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those yeah. for sure. Yeah, so that's so. one of the things that's kind of nice is is being able to um, have that scheduled thing that we can dive into and and the social that comes with it. 
Yeah. I think yeah. it's a bit of yeah. a replacement for those convention moments in a little bit, right? Because it, oh, it allows yeah. the connection between writers and creators that would only happen in person. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been huge. But not just absorbing yourself on, you know, mulling over the news. Like, let's give ourselves an outlet and let's give ourselves something else that we can focus on. And that's going to be each other and this fun kind of story we're going to build together. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, so going back to you talking about going wild on things, Mm -hmm. but so Jody, I guess to start with uh, for this question, but how much freedom do you have when you're writing a comic book based on a very popular IP? That I mean, can like was it up to to you guys to decide how they met Dustin, or is that something that they told you this is how? But you can expand on it. I mean, for stuff like that, if there's sort of hints in the dialogue in the show, like Jim was saying, because uh, Dustin, uh, I don't remember the specifics of what he says in the first season, but when there's sort of the fissure in the friend group and Dustin is talking about how he came along and he didn't meet the kids until this point, but you two have been neighbors since you were like babies. So, you know, we generally have some guidelines to work with for things like that, but uh, Following the generally canon. what we do is you know, write what we see as being the coolest version that we want to do of it, uh, send it in and see if it gets approved. And as as someone who works on a lot of licensed uh, IP, that's that's generally how you go. Uh, And you you just hope that uh, whatever you come up with uh, stays true to their vision of the characters in the world. Um, And for the most part, it, it has, I think, for almost everything we did in this book. Yeah, it, part of our job as writers and communicators is to engage the readers, but it's also to engage, it sounds weird to say, our clients, you know, the license holders, and <laughs> to convince them we've got the right solution, that this is, if we're excited about it, there's a reason for it. And I'm going to convince you with my excitement that this is the right path to take because this is going to work with what you already have and it's a cool thing on its own merits. You know what I mean? And so we did a pretty extensive outline for the series to walk through how each issue slides between the episodes but also stands on its own as a cohesive story, the emotional context of what we were putting into it and and where we were you know, hitting certain pieces of the D&D canon because we had to convince Wizards of the Coast and we had to convince you know, Netflix. And so it's like, all these people. You're, you're good at that, though. Like, so far, yeah, so like, good. Like Between the Rick and Morty and Dungeons right. and Dragons. <laughs> so my, my exuberance will bowl you over, hopefully, and, <laughs> and make this happen, right? So and, you and, high on your persuasion and, checks. Yep. <laughs> and the thing to keep in mind with projects like this is both Stranger Things and D&D are universes that are still going on in other mediums. You know, they're yeah. still living, breathing entities. Yeah. So you want to make sure that you're not, you know, cutting off a limb or something uh, right. and you're not doing anything that's going to sort of harm the overall story that a lot of other people are also working on. Right. You can't so just are be they like, meant oh, to Dustin be like, uh, has a bum leg not, all of a sudden. Do not touch going to be consistent the whole way. <laughs> <laughs> do ahead, they, go. are they meant to like work in tandem with each other, like the comic book and the series? Or is it like, mm-hmm. do you have, or is it, is it just kind of understood like, well, it's a different medium. So in this version no, you guys have, have a limp, to, but yeah, it has to yeah, work in the canon. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's meant to be canon. It's meant to, you know, everything gets approved exciting. by Netflix, so it is all sort of intended to fit together with. Yeah. You know, not even this, just a TV show, but they're doing novels. They're doing. Yeah. Uh, I don't even remember everything that they're doing for Stranger Things right now. 
but you know, something that, that that's that big and has that many moving pieces, at the end of the day, the license holder is the one who's sort of overseeing everything and is in charge of the overall canon. Uh, I think a, the best example for things like that is like the Lucasfilm story group who right. oversees all the things. But yeah. usually like smaller things will still have at least one person who's managing all that. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask for for Stranger Things. Is there is there a, like, are you liaising with one specific member of the writing team or something like that? That's like, oh, I've well, got this editors, going on. Yeah, editors, so we've got an, it's, it's pretty extensive layers because you've got, yeah, the IDW, you know, editor for D&D side of things. You've got the Dark Horse editor for the Stranger Things side and and we're trying to send material off to get approvals from both companies at the same time so that it's following some sort of a regular production process but that also has to include all the artwork all this all the covers all the solicitation text it's pretty it's pretty deep as, as a process and I don't want to like make anyone feel like it's not a good thing it is and the feedback we get is usually really really strong and very clear you know if there is edits or things that need to be changed but most of the time if we've done our due diligence and then it's about just convincing people, right, this is the right fit. Let's all go the same direction, you know? Yeah. And a project like this is especially handy to have a good editor because that's really the person who has to liaise with the different licensors and their own, you know, publisher people. And it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. I guess in some, in some fans' mind, they might think like, oh, Jody and Jim, they get to sit down with the Duffer Brothers and go over <laughs> yeah, not exactly. all these no, things. But no, there's all the these layers. And in some ways, that's happen. probably better because then way, you know, it's not like, not like there would be intimidation or anything like that, but there's, you know, they've probably got a much different story that they're concentrating on and you want to concentrate mm-hmm. on yours and, and there should be some separation so that it doesn't feel um, like one's just echoing the other. Yeah, when we're not trying to tell the same story, that's the important yeah. part. Mm-hmm. This has to stand on its own and it has to work as well, you know? And then you've also got an art. So Diego Galindo, the artist who's doing the series and he's doing some of the covers as well. He's phenomenal. He's hitting this okay. perfect balance of they look like the kids, but it doesn't look so photo referenced that mm. it's stiff, which you can have a lot of times when you've got these kinds of actor likenesses. Um and I'm sending him just reams of reference from first edition D&D. So it's like the orcs have to look like first edition orcs. They can't look like stuff from later books, oh, no, you know. Or, or, he, right. Here's what the, the front and the back of the book looks like. So if the kids are holding up the book, they've got that thing. Or that's what the old DM screen is. Or, you know, or the dice or any of that stuff. So it, that, those kinds of details are, are the things that would be mostly invisible. Or you just assume, oh, yeah. Of course, the artist has to draw all that, you know, like, but someone has to tell them and someone has to yeah. make sure that it's all, you know, uh, hitting the mark on that stuff, too. So. Yeah. Even if they don't. The, sorry. Go, no, you go on, Jody. I was going to say, one of the really fun things about this project was getting Jim's, like, lengthy D&D history Because <laughs> uh, it was, I mean... As someone was who, it fun? No, it really was fun. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm someone who didn't start playing D and D until fifth edition. So, oh and gosh. I knew I knew of it. Right. Uh, and I'd I'd almost done like a play by email of uh, three three I think a million years ago. But uh, so my my understanding of the system is all very very modern. So getting to see where it came from was just it was really fun. Yeah. One of the things that was weird for fans me was will love that when they get the 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 series. We're like, they, oh, they'll you know for those because there's many people like you, Jody, at this point who have only really oh, come sure. in on fifth edition, and then this is a nice way, you know, other than reading a history book or looking at those old manuals, but you'll be like, oh, that's what it was like, and isn't it so cool that this changed? Or you know, oh, I want to bring back right. some of this older stuff. And we don't want it to be like a dissertation on the rules. Like, right. so we're, you know, it's more flavor text that happens in the background. But it, but if, 
and it, I had to remind myself some of the rules that I had just forgotten about because I haven't played first edition in so long. So I was like, how does initiative work in the original game? Like, because I've been rolling D20 so long for those things. Same thing with saving throws. Now it's like, no, that's a D12 or that's a D8 or a D6 or, oh, okay, how does that work? You know, some of those little things. There's a, a whole sequence where the, you know, the kids are, uh, uh, Mike's getting all worked up about the way some of the bonuses and he's like, oh, but Will, you know, Will's character could die in the game. And if he dies in the game, then, you know, he can't, I don't want him to remember that he almost died out in the, the upside down or, you know, like stuff like that. Like, and so I get to be dorky and pedantic about the rules, but for an emotional reason, you know, because I remember, I remember obsessing over the rules like that. Those structures become something you kind of hang your, your stuff on when you're a kid. There's a certain age where you want to codify everything. You want there to be rules about life because you don't understand how life works. And so something like D&D or the official handbook, the Marvel Universe, I poured so much of my attention into them because they told me how stuff worked. Right. You know, and as Jody me, was saying, when you're an adolescent, everything is the biggest yeah. deal. So the fact yeah. that, wait, I thought I was supposed to get a plus two. I'm only getting a plus one. <laughs> You're cheating. What's going on? Yeah, yeah. exactly. That makes and, sense. And the weird, we would use the books like as a as a stopgap for social interaction, where it would say, "Well, if it's in the rules, you got to let me do it." And of course, <laughs> everyone in the in the, in a modern game with adults, you're like, "Hey, this isn't working. People aren't having a good time. Can we talk about this?" You know. But back then, as a kid, you're like, "Well, says it in the rules. I guess yeah. we got to do it." You know, <laughs> you just have no other context for how stuff's supposed to function. Right? Yeah. So. That's yeah. hilarious. Well, uh, I can't wait for the series to start. When is the first uh, issue going to be ready? Uh, when can people pick it up? Issue one is November 2nd. And uh, yeah, it is coming That's up. Fast. And so people can pre-order it now from their local uh, comic book shop or online comic retailer. And it's going to be a beauty. Four issues. Uh, it's going to be sweet. Yeah, We awesome. are super stoked. November I'm 2nd, surprised then. that you've actually had time to write it, considering how much research you were doing. <laughs> like, oh, how no. much did the red box why, cost? <laughs> that's, that's actually why Jim wanted to write this, I think, so he could do all the research. Yeah, yeah, I can always justify now buying first edition books as a as a business expense. Research, that's really yeah. the most important thing. Really, all my nerdy stuff now between Conan the Barbarian and uh, <laughs> uh, Marvel Comics and D and yeah. D. It's just like you, well. You are living your best life, Jim. It's pretty you, good. You really are. That's pretty good. And then, um, in addition, we've got the the Young Adventurers guides are still continuing. Obviously. Oh, I have to tell you, uh, my son's birthday was in July, oh. and his little friends from next door brought him a present, and they bought him two of those books. Oh my god, that's amazing! <laughs> I know. So I'm like, oh, this is makes my heart sing. <laughs> Those books, I mean, we get photos. Yes. There so, they are. you know, Stacy and Andrew and I get photos from kids like clutching those books. It's I know. the best feeling. It is the greatest thing ever. I love these yeah. books. Yeah. And, and we are so proud of them. So, uh, Beast and uh, Behemoth is coming out. And I, I mispronounced it before the stream. That's why so Shelly's laughing. <laughs> we totally just, shamed you. We're like, huh? Uh, is that I like said, Canadian? Is that what you said? <laughs> I, I've never the said Hemis. anything other than Behemoth. Girl. It was way, it was about. way classier <laughs> when you said it. I, I, I swear, I thought it was, I thought it was a Canadian like aluminium or uh, uh, here, it's in here the in, uh, up in yeah. Kanuckenstein, we stayed Behemoths. <laughs> I've heard Thank that you. about Canadia. Yeah, up in Canadia, that's yeah. what we do. Well, we here uh, in Cascadia so, call it uh, Behemoth. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so yeah. that book, 
that I spoke of earlier, the fifth <laughs> book in the uh, in the Young Adventurers Guide series is uh, another big monster guide, but this one goes from the little tiny creatures all the way up to the uh, gargantuan. And so it's going to be this building in size and building in drama as we go through the book. Uh, I am super, super proud of it. We have some standouts. We've got lycanthropes in the book. Did I pronounce that correctly? Lycanthropes. lycanthropes. Is that okay? Uh, lycanthropes? Lycanthropes. <laughs> I didn't even get that right. Lycanthropes. <laughs> but that was just we an accent You're not going to do a pronunciation guide, yeah, you can, yeah. but you can continue I have the these uh, chromatic dragoons. Dragoons. <laughs> is that it? Is that <laughs> yep. Correct. Yep. 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 <laughs> Nailed it. <sighs> Yeah, and that's um, all right. I don't know how to say poutine very well. There so. you go. Yeah, poutine. There is. See? Oh, see, I knew I, I would can, get it. I wrong. can correct you on that. And we also, you guys were mispronouncing that company, the video game company Took. What, oh, yeah. First, yeah, you what? guys just took it. What did we I think say? I it like like Peregrine Took. took. Yeah. What'd you <laughs> call it? Took. Tooks. Tooks. Wearing a Took. Yeah. Anyways, Beast of Mahemoth. Very excited. It's the fifth book. Uh, these yeah. Young Adventurers guides, I, I mean, uh, I just want to say a, a quick shout out to them in general because they do the thing that we've been talking about this whole episode, which is like it gets kids uh, and, you know, they're, they're designed with like middle age, uh, middle school age kind of in mind, right, Jim? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's talking about D&D concepts and themes and details, but in a way that's very relatable in language. That's a, I wouldn't say it's, um, you know, less difficult necessarily, but it just no. It, I don't it, think it's it's grokable for yeah. That I mean, we cut it. We cut out all the the stat stuff, and we just make it like creative choices that that a new player can make. So instead of worrying about tables or stats, what they do is they say, "Oh my gosh, you know what looks really cool is I want to make an elf." warlock and what is that going to look like and feel like and i want to have this equipment and i want to go on these adventures and and because when we play when you play with new players you're always teaching them how to play at the table anyways you're telling them what dice to roll and what the stats mean you know we're playing all these games jody and i together and we're trying a bunch of new systems we've never tried and the, the game master is always telling us what these things represent and what the rules are, that's going to get taken care of at the table. What I need you as a player to bring to the table is your enthusiasm, your ideas, your personality. And that's what these books try to unlock is here's a bunch of cool options, make a character you're excited to play, and then we'll get you all up to speed on which dice to roll and how much cool stuff you're going to, you know, kick butt with. Yeah. Yeah. And realizing there's all this like player knowledge that if people have been playing for decades, they kind of just know orcs are like this or, you know, mm-hmm. driders are like this, or, you know, or behemoths are, are like this. Um, be- be- behemoths? I, I, I <laughs> <hate them. laughs> uh, so the Tarasque. I, That's I have, right. I have actually had a conversation with someone who's pronounced it Tarasque. No. Yes. They wow. just, for whatever reason, they just, in their head, probably as a child, when they first read yeah. that, were like, oh, but see, when someone mispronounces a word like that, I'm like, well, they must just read a lot. So they yeah. haven't heard the word. So how do you pronounce the land shark in Dungeons and Dragons? Do you know the the, uh, the the creature I'm talking about? Yes, I the the uh, bulette. Bulette. Okay, so I was curious. I wanted you to have the first crack at it. If it was bulette or bulette or bullet or what, you know. Like, I have always said bulette in my head. Bulette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The land shark. That's a classic right there. That That's is a beauty. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, these are like again, as, as Shelley was saying, like it's a great way to get kids. Uh, it's a nice gift because they're kind of short, you know, figure, and it's a nice aspirational thing. Beautiful for, for art, people to read, and great art, brand new art that was commissioned directly for these books. 
um, for uh, um, from Ten Speed, and it's it's great. So I can't wait for the fifth one. I'm going to get it, and my kids are going to devour it. Sweet. Thank you. Yes. We are, yeah, we're all incredibly super proud of it. Um, what else you got going on, Jody? I think you got a, another yeah. comic announcement that just uh, popped up. Oh, yes. Uh, just announced uh, uh, the same day we were recording this, uh, there's going to be a third volume of Critical Role Vox Machina Origins. So we're going to keep following the adventures of Vox Machina before the Critical Role stream started. So you can see those early adventures where the characters were still sort of bonding and leveling up and doing all kinds of crazy shenanigans. Which uh, which characters does this uh, series follow? Or is it just all of them together? All of them, pretty oh. much, yeah. It's uh, There's some fun stuff. I don't think I can really say much more yet because I don't think anything else has been announced. But How much yeah. research does that take? Like, have you... Hours you and hours of critical to, role. Watching. Hundreds of hours of critical role. Like, how does that, how does that get distilled down for you? Well, this is interesting because since this is all prior to them actually doing the, you know, live stream show, uh, there aren't really recordings so much, but right. there's, uh, they have talked about a lot of these events. So there are, you know, wikis and write-ups about wow. these events. So I can fact check to a certain extent, but a lot of cool. times, you know, it's looking at where the characters ended up and then sort of tracking them back a little bit because you saw how they grew. So you sort of know where they needed to come from to a certain extent to get to where they did. And do so. you get notes from the whole cast when you send a script uh, in? Or? A fair amount. Definitely uh, Liam's sort of our main coordinator person and uh, Matt, of course, because he's the DM. He's the one that sort of built up this world. Uh, but yeah, I, d- I definitely have gotten notes probably on most from most of the people about their characters at some point or another. Uh, even if it's just like, good line, like that. What I love about nice. this this whole thing is I, you know, I was a fan of Dragonlance when I was a kid, right? And there was those chronicles that had you know a same, similar thing with a you know a party of adventurers getting together. Um, but there were all these prequels that were published mm-hmm. afterwards of like, oh, let's find out you know what happened to uh, not Silver Moon, but uh, yeah, you know the, you know, the, the characters before and how they got to there mm-hmm. and all, all the stuff that's referenced in that opening scene in Solace and like how they got there. And uh, this feels very similar to that where it's like, oh, you get a peek at to you know, these characters that you love, but here's how they f- were formed. Right. And especially like the low, when you're playing lower level D&D characters, you're not like nearly as badass. That's where a lot of the really like silly things can happen. So yeah, it's, it's, pr- it's yeah. pretty fun, you know, sort of finding the balance between how the game would have gone, but also just making it a actual story. Uh, you know, you don't want it just like a transcription of a D&D session because the magic of the D&D session is for the people at the table. This is taking the ideas and the stories that they had and making it a new thing in a new medium. And just like a D&D thing, there can be small moments that happen uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, may, may even pass notice except for a fan who's like, oh, wait, that ends up having a big effect and, you know, episode 94 of, of Critical Role and things like that. So that's got to be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, doing, doing D&D as a comic, I find so interesting because you're trying to get that energy of the table, that idea of, yes, this is a fantasy story, but there's also this kind of spontaneity that ends up happening. So I know when I'm writing like action scenes, I always want them to feel a little more frenetic and, and unexpected because then to me that feels like the unexpected roll of the dice. Like, oh, you get, you know, characters miss and fumble and crash and 
now things are even more dangerous. It's almost like, you know, that kind of builds even more tension. Uh, yeah, and that's that's one of the things Olivia especially did great in volume two is, you know, it's when you're doing a an action scene, you don't want to have one person do a thing and then another person do a thing and mm-hmm. another person do a thing like you do at the table. Like everyone's going at once. Right. Uh, so she was a she did an amazing job with just having these like big splashes of like everyone attacking and everyone clashing at the same time. And like that's I think the closest you can get to the feel of like a crazy combat scene in a comic. Very cool. Awesome. And so Jim, volume uh, two is oh, yeah. out, Sorry, yeah, before came out in last month, right? Yeah. The, for- trade, the trade collection is out. So for people who uh, missed either the individual issues or were waiting for the you know collection to stick on their bookshelves, that is out now. And that's from Dark Horse as well, right? Yeah. Yes. Nice. Sweet. Synergies. Awesome. Yeah. Yep. But you mentioned before, Jim, you're not, this is not the only uh, fantasy property that you're currently working on you got another one uh no i got like two other yeah i'm doing conan the barbarian (laughs) monthly at marvel and then i'm also bring i brought back um the original kind of fantasy comic i did back in 2010 called skull kickers and that was very much influenced by both D &D and conan the barbarian and now weirdly enough i work on D &D and conan the barbarian (laughs) um and so for the 10th anniversary of the series we're doing a kickstarter of a uh a brand new comic story it's called uh, Caster Bastards and the Great Grotesque. And it's this wild magic school that's sort of under siege. Um, so it's a brand new self-contained story and it's new reader friendly, even if you've never read Skull Kickers before. It's this frenetic, over-the-top uh, sword and sorcery action comedy. And then there's also a 5e uh, adventure, uh, adaptable adventure in the back. So it's Oh, cool. uh, Amazing. It's the first kind of tabletop thing we've done with the Skull Kickers. And so you're going to get to adventure through the Academy. uh, It's called the Academy of Serious Sorcery and Holistic Occult Learning. So it's this like ridiculous tower full of uh, warped magic and strange NPCs, magic items and spells and all that stuff. So I've got um, a trio of RPG designers that are working with me. I've got Mike Olson and um, Eleanor Jordan and Clinton Cronk, and they are busting away on these amazing encounters based on the insane stuff that I came up with. And we've got an amazing uh, cartographer, um, Marco Bernardini, and he's doing these wonderful tower maps that are reminiscent of the isometric kind of slices of the Castle Ravenloft. So I wanted that style of map because that's like my favorite dungeon map of all time. And so I wanted that style of, of cartography and we're just cranking away on this uh, supplement and the Kickstarter is running now until October 2nd and it is looking, uh, looking unbelievable and people have been incredibly supportive. So it's nice to kind of bring people back to, the original fantasy comic that kind of got my writing career really, really uh, off the ground. So, yeah. And and as someone who got a sneak peek at uh, some of the maps that are being done, like there, it's going to look so cool. Oh, Marco's crazy. Like wow. I gave, you know, Castle Ravenloft is arguably the most iconic, one of the most iconic dungeon maps of all time. And I said, I want that caliber of map. Like, I know you might not be able to hit it, but let's see if we can put that as a bar. And he's really gone to the wall to make this thing look as stunning as possible and and do that style of cutaway with the cool three-dimensional aspects of it. And it's pushing all of us to a whole new level. So I'm super proud of the book. And even though the book is a 
is an action comedy. I didn't want to make just a silly adventure that you would just whip through really quickly. It's like a deep, ridiculous, but fun kind of setting that you can put a whole bunch of uh, time and, and role playing into and, and get a lot out of. Yeah, I love you know writing art descriptions with like, here, I want it to be like the Mona Lisa, but only better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so so they love things, that. Yeah. Yep. If anyone has seen Infernal Tides, the D&D comic I did with Max Dunbar, with yeah. those spreads of the blood war with, you know, hey, why don't you have as many demons and devils as you can draw, humanly possible, crash into each other? And that takes me 10 minutes to write, and then it takes him a week to draw. And, and I just go, great job, Max. You really you made us look it. good. You know? <laughs> Masterpiece. Ma- Max accomplished. is really good. Though. Yeah, Max yeah. is a freak so of nature. Yeah, I, I try Twitter and account is with, one of my favorites of just like, I know. the amount Those of Those character output. pieces he does that are just like stunning. They're fantastic. I was hitting up Richard Witters, and I was like, I hope you guys just never stop <laughs> using Max for amazing design work because he's got such a good eye for that classic D&D look, but also feels it's modern and it's classic. Like he just knows how to strike that beautiful balance with the stuff. And, ah. and you two are both so prolific and creating such amazing uh, pieces, not only the Stranger Things comic together, but all the, you know, various uh, I don't know, projects that you're uh, writing. It's, it's inspiring. It really is because, uh, you know, I don't know. It feels like, how do you fit it all into one day? I don't know. It's impossible. I don't know. What Just, is time anymore? What is <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think time? Honestly, is illusion. Yeah, the, the escapism of pouring yourself into the page has been uh, has been great, and this is all the stuff that that I grew up on. So I just get to be you know eight years old uh, every every day, and Excellent. that's the best feeling of all. Yeah. Jody, how can people follow along uh, with all the things that you're publishing and uh, get to know the latest? Well, I'm on Twitter at at Jody underscore Hauser, and I'm on Instagram at MindEclipse. Mind Eclipse. Mind Eclipse. Uh, excellent. Eclipse. I feel like we've been going through the Mind Eclipse with all the uh, smoke yes. in the air mm-hmm. and everything. Uh, Jim, what about you? Uh, all of my social media is uh, is Behemoth. Uh, so, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> no, so you can find me on... Very intuitive. Uh, yes, yeah. You can find me on Twitter at uh, Jim Zub, J-I-M-Z-U-B. Almost said Z there, went all Canadian on you. Um, and my Instagram is Jim underscore uh, Zub. If you go to jimzub.com, I've always got uh, all kinds of updates and previews and interviews. I also have tutorials on how to write comics. So... Uh, how scripts are made, how pitches are put together, and and a little peek behind the curtain as well. So, great yeah, stuff. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, thank um, you both. Uh, keep up the good work, and I can't yes. wait for issue one of uh, the Stranger Things D and D comic uh, to be in stores with November second, right? November second oh. and uh, October twenty second for Beasts and Behemoths. Man, and so I much almost coming. said it correctly. All Hashtag right. Behemoth. <laughs> Hashtag Behemoth. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Take care. Wow. I love interviewing Jim Zub. Uh, he is, and Jody, uh, but Jim talks. and uh, He interviews we, himself. He interviews himself. It's like I the best it. ever. Uh, and it sounds like what they're working on for the Stranger Things comic is going to give more depth to the D&D side of those characters, uh, yep. you know, it's always been a through line throughout the show, but um, I love kind of hearing more about how they play together and introduce, uh, you know, the new cast members that have been introduced and how they play together at the table. Um, should be super fun. Yes. So good. I yeah. love them both. Two very creative, very passionate uh, creators in our world. 
And it's great to talk to them. It's inspiring too because I just I feel like they do uh, like forty million more projects like per oh, day than I do. I totally agree. So maybe we should write a book. <laughs> maybe, yeah, we should do that. Let's That's add, uh, and then we can do like three things a day right. instead of two. We were yes, exactly. I'm I, I, I'm done. Let's do it. Okay, we're gonna make it happen. Signing off. Signing Writing off. a book. Here I go. <laughs> And I'm making right. a book. <laughs> Books are fun. Done. We'll be the monkeys uh, that uh, pound away at the, the, the typewriter for, yes. for aeons and write Hamlet. <laughs> Alas, poor puppy. Uh, I knew you well. Uh, uh, oh, poor puppy is actually laying right here next to me. I know. That's why I was holding his little yes. head up. Um Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Dragon Talk. You can follow and find out everything about what's happening for D&D at DungeonsAndDragons.com uh, or on our socials, uh, Wizards underscore D&D on Twitter and Instagram and like the Facebook page. Join the Discord, official Discord server. That's where a lot of conversations are happening, especially over this past weekend for D&D Celebration. Also, uh, there is a wonderful handy-dandy tool, the Yawning Portal, uh, which will allow you to set up games uh, for online play. We used it to do that, uh, all the gaming during uh, D&D Celebration and D&D Live, but I think that it will be available for you to uh, get together and meet new folks uh, and potentially roll some dice together online uh, during these times. So make that happen. Uh, of course, Dragon Plus is the best Way for you to find out about uh, you know new upcoming products from our licensees, uh, as well as uh, a wealth of information on uh, the adventures and you know products coming from the D and D studio. Uh, so download that to your phone uh, and check out that content at dragonmag.com. Yes, yes, yes. If you like me, I'm sorry, uh, but you can follow me at Greg Tito uh, on Twitter or Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. And uh, Shelly, you're, you're, you're Shelly Moo, aren't you? I'm Shelly Moo. Shelly Moo everywhere. Instagram, everywhere. Twitter. And I'm not sorry that I like you, Greg Tito. Aww. You're a good person. Thank you, Shelly. You are too. You should be followed on all of the things. <laughs> not all of the things. That can be creepy. <laughs> <laughs> well, all the not ones. like when I'm walking my dog or something. Please do don't. not follow on those uh, for sure. Uh, no. But you post a lot of fun stuff, and uh, you know, talk with uh, our, our our guests on Twitters and stuff. So that's well, I enjoy when people you know give ideas on topics or things that they want to hear us talk about, or yeah. for like the how to be a DM segment. I really like also hearing from other newbie dungeon masters are people who are scared to try it. We yeah. we need each other. We need to support each other. You should fi- form like a little self-help group of, uh, of yeah. DMs ready to take the plunge. Yeah, and then just, you know, practice on each other. Just, yeah. That's yeah. not a bad idea. There'll be no... Uh, it's like a little writing group, except it's like a DM yeah. support group. Yeah. I would yeah. say a critique group, but critique sounds too harsh. Like, we're not yeah. just... We're helping. We're supporting. I, yeah. I, I mean, sign me up. That sounds fun. You would be our leader. <laughs> I don't want. No, no I. So I, far, I, out of the two members of this group, you have the most experience. <laughs> that is that is true. 
Uh, I will offer nothing but love and support and lift you up where wings belong. Thank you to everyone out there uh, who has reviewed or given a positive uh, spin on Dragon Talk. We appreciate you. I, I actually saw a few of them uh, over the course of some research I was doing this week, and it always brings a smile to my face. The kindness and support that you guys all out there in the listening community uh, provide to us. You're lifting us all up as well, and It's a great way to spread the word about the podcast too. So uh, make sure uh, if you're listening or you've made it all the way through and you're hearing this, send some more reviews out there uh, and let people know. Spread the word about the good that uh, Shelly is doing and hopefully convince her to start DMing. Uh, And tell Greg how much you love him. Aww. Aww. Thank you to Ryan Marth and Lisa Carr from Siren Sound for producing and putting this episode together. Couldn't do it Where without them. Be? No way. Not right? even. Yes. Um, yes. Pelham Green and Sean Mayofsky from Wizards for helping us out on the video side. And to you, Shelly Moo, for rocking the microfoo. Right, What's going mean. on, man? I don't know. I'm just trying to get to a segue here. As we <laughs> find out what's happening with Drunky Two Shoes uh, <gasps> on her. Oh, way. yes. Was I not trying to. Uh, Get you a stole boat. a boat. Steal, I did steal the boat. You stole a boat, uh, okay. and you are rowing into uh, or following where oh, a, a, okay. a larger, faster sail ship might yeah. be uh, available. Dude, why am I rowing though? I'm never going to get there. Do I have any magic? I don't think I'm. I don't think I am. Is this the drunky who's a? a it's really hard to play D and D without a character. <laughs> This is what it's just the mental exercise. Of Am like, I a sorcerer you, in this one? Because there's also a drunky ranger. I whichever one you have. You Let's had be chosen. the sorcerer. <laughs> it switches based on plot. Do I have fly? Can I just get off this damn boat and fly up to that other boat? No. What can I do to speed up this process? Well, you. It's not too far. Uh, luckily, it didn't look like it. At least it went around okay. a. Uh, um, like a landmass or a hill or something like that, and you think you might be able to do it. And as you kind of get around that, it's a little bit, you know, it's out in the harbor, and you're, you know, not super strong, but you're able to at least maneuver the boat uh, to somewhere safely. And it's in a harbor, so it's not, you know, it's not like crazy waves or anything happening. So it's not choppy, and there's oh, no okay, storms good. or anything. You go around this edge, and you're starting to get tired, and your uh, sweat glands are uh, overproducing. As is, does that happen with cats? I don't know. I don't know. Are you panting? You're, I guess you would be panting. Do cats do that when they're overheating? Or is that I never really dogs? saw a cat overheat. I don't know. Yeah, because they only stay inside. And, and, and they seem to like, like being hot. They lay in sunbeams. And stuff. Well, then this is just you. You're very un- unhappy okay. just from the exertion. <laughs> it's too much. Uh, but you go around this area and you see uh, a little cove um, that has a, a sailing ship um, anchored out next to it uh, and there are a few figures look like they're taking off um, uh, some crates from uh, from the ship. There's two or three uh, sailors on board. The ship that I followed? Yes. Not the one that has uh, potentially your brother on it that went north to Waterdeep. This was a faster moving sailing ship that uh, looked like that it was um, getting ready to unload but did not come into the harbor and instead went to this cove. Oh, okay. How close can I get and still have some cover? You can't. I mean, you know, you're basically, you're kind of like, you know, would be visible if they were looking for you right now. uh, 
and in fact make me a are you are you trying to stay concealed? Yes. All right, make me a stealth check then. Oh, an 18. An 18. All right, so you stay close to the shore uh, where there's some shadow and uh, are using your oar in a very quiet way. You're not splashing or anything, but you are trying to get a little bit closer to where the ship is, and you get to within, uh, let's say, 100 feet uh, using the the ship itself as like a cover so that they're unloading on one side and you're kind of approaching from the other side. And so far you've eluded a notice from the lookout that is on the boat. He's distracted. But yeah, you're about uh, 50 feet away uh, in a small dinghy beside the ship. And it looks like uh, what you can tell from the uh, looking at the lookout, uh, he's you know wearing kind of black leathers, has got an eye patch uh, uh, and uh, a bird on his shoulder. And he's kind of muttering under his breath, I don't want to be the lookout. What kind of a pirate just looks out? Can I tell what they're unloading? Um, it looks like uh, cargo that uh, is marked um, for, you know, unloading at uh, official ports. Do I have like a small weapon, like a slingshot or something? Sure. Yeah, you have a slingshot. I'm going to try to hit him right Yeah, they're right going to try to hit the lookout. And knock him out. Yeah. Okay. It's yeah. uh roll a d20. Okay. Five? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, well, I rolled uh, a one on perception. Uh, and so you're, you know, and your bullet goes right by uh, the guy's head, uh, but he doesn't see it. Okay. And, did his bird uh, We'll pick it up there next time. Okay. Maybe the bird did, maybe the bird didn't. We'll see. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for watching Dragon Talk. <laughs> watching. Thanks for listening to Dragon Talk. 